Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the Cyclical Podcast. Today is one of our last episodes in the Cyclical Birth series, but I hope you've been genuinely enjoying this. For now, this will probably be the last episode, but don't worry, I'm sure once baby comes, I'll have so much more to share with you. (laughs) A cool birth story, I'll be able to tell you more like in real time, like what that experience is like, what things really worked for me, what things I wouldn't do again, so that will be really fun. Uh, Also, it's just like a really noisy day today. There are crows everywhere. I feel like every car that drives by is really loud, so I'm sorry in advance for any background noise on this episode today. I'm trying to record a podcast, and it just seems like everything is really noisy today. So holy moly, y'all, I'm in my third trimester. I don't know where time has gone. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) All I know is there's a baby that's going to be here in... Well, by the time this episode goes live, maybe like eight weeks or so, like real soon. And if you've been pregnant, I know you know how quick the time goes by. It's just like one second, the baby's the size of a blueberry and you're like, oh, okay, I've got a lot of time to figure this out. All right, like, let me get my supplements in order. I don't know. You just feel so like beginning stages and then you blink and you're like 28 weeks pregnant or you're 30 weeks pregnant and you're like, wait, what? Like, oh, like it's it's almost birth time. Okay, let me just, let me get ready for that. You have all been the most amazing support and community ever. All of you on Instagram, the podcast, my email list, in my programs. Thank you for all your love and support over this whole pregnancy. I know some of you are really excited to get pregnant in the future and others of you maybe have had one or more children, uh, but a lot of people have definitely expressed interest in a home birth, a lot of questions as to why With our first baby, we picked to do a home birth and really just submitted a lot of interesting questions that I'm excited to answer today. However, people that are not in my community have been interesting. (laughs) Um, Every time I do a reel or share a bunch of stories about home birth or something, I'll get a few select trolls that, you know, want to essentially tell me that I'm going to die. My baby's going to die. I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I'm reckless. Um, I mean, you name some random insult. They also always have these really interesting statistics. Like I'm like 9,000% more likely to die. And I'm like, wow, I just like didn't know we could make up statistics. That's really exciting. Okay, well, (laughs) so um, I'm really glad that everyone in my community has been so lovely. But yeah, it's really crazy how many people think the right thing to say to a pregnant woman is fear-mongering stuff or just worst case scenarios like, well, I knew this person who had a home birth and she hemorrhaged and died, but good luck. Like, yeah, that's that's definitely something <laughs> to say to a pregnant woman. Okay. I'm sure you've all had your version of that if you've been pregnant. Someone saying just ridiculous stuff. But anyways, so today I'm going to share with all of you a bit about our home birth plan Uh, what we're doing to prepare for the birth, my partner's opinion on all of this. A lot of you have been intrigued to know that. Like, is Robert on board? What does he think about the home birth? Is he like scared or worried? I'm going to share that today. 
And then the list of items that we're gonna have on hand, I will actually make this an Instagram post as well in case you're interested, because it's probably a lot more minimalistic than you think. And then what things we've invested in and yeah, just kind of giving a candid little window into our home birth prep. But a quick note, I'm not claiming that I'm the home birth expert here. I obviously have not physically birthed a baby yet. So I'm also trying to remain humble in that I don't know everything. I have been lucky to witness my sister's births. But as of right now, this is our plan. But I also recognize birth does not does not work with a plan like birth is literally the opposite of like a structured plan and so this is what we're doing to prepare so that we feel good and comfortable and then we will let baby and my body do the rest so we're just flowing with it and i think that's really all you can do so we knew from the moment we found out we were pregnant that we wanted to do a home birth that was important to us because we both just trust the innate wisdom of female biology. I, of course, have more of a background in women's health and understand things, you know, like hormones and the difference between oxytocin and pitocin. And I witnessed my sister home birth her babies in the most incredible physiological ways. And so I already had a seed planted of like birth is not an emergency. Birth doesn't have to be scary. Birth is really beautiful and natural. And my partner had an interesting introduction to birth as well. He has a son from his previous marriage, and his son's birth definitely was very medicalized, and there were many, many interventions. And Robert's really awesome and and transparent and honest when he says, like, I just didn't know better. My partner didn't know better. We were just kind of doing what we thought we were supposed to do, which is so true for so many people, right? So many of us in many different settings just trust the authority, and we don't know what questions we can ask. We don't know that we have other options. And so he felt like he was just kind of put on this conveyor belt of this is what you do. So the doctor pushed that the baby needed to be induced because he was the the doctor was going on vacation. (laughs) I laugh only because I'm just like, how self-righteous to put birth on your schedule. But okay. Um, So the baby was induced. Um, There was an epidural. I believe there was an episiotomy. So where the perineum was cut and the baby luckily was very healthy and he's wonderful. I'm so lucky to have him as a uh, stepson, but there was a lot to his birth that was very traumatic, that didn't feel innately right, that affected everybody that was part of it. And then of course, you know, the baby was jaundiced and there were all these other things that just continued to create these interventions down the road because they didn't know what questions to ask. And the medical professionals definitely were not giving them options. They were like, oh, if you have your baby has jaundice, this is what you do. I'm going on vacation, so if you want to have a baby with me, you better get an intervention. You better be induced. This is going to be super painful. You can't handle it. You need an epidural. The baby's too big for your body. We need to slice your perineum. So it's this cascading effect. And because he'd had that experience, Robert definitely, as soon as I was like, hey, it's really important to me to have a home birth. I am really excited about a home birth. I got zero pushback. And I'm so grateful for that because largely he saw the other side of it. And even as a dad, he was disturbed by how medicalized it was, how his baby was treated. He didn't like that the baby was taken away immediately and scrubbed. And there were a lot of things that didn't sit right to him, but... I think it bothered him because he's there to, you know, he's the masculine energy, he's supposed to be protecting his baby, and yet he felt probably pretty powerless 
in that situation. And I bet a lot of dads actually feel that way. So thank God he wasn't like, oh my God, that's the craziest thing you've ever said, Cassandra, I can't believe you want a home birth. Instead, he was like, wow, that's really awesome. Okay. (laughs) That was basically the end of it. Um, There was definitely no like, I don't know, needing to convince him or anything. He definitely trusted what I knew. I really valued his experience with his first child. And very quickly, it just was very, very obvious that we're going to do a home birth. Now, like I said, I'd been able to witness some of my sister's births. And so I also had a cool awareness into how minimalistic a home birth really can be. You really don't need a lot of equipment. Um, In terms of cost, they can be fairly low depending on you know what kind of support you want to hire to have with you a midwife a doula and then what kind of supplies you want to have but there's a huge range in like it's kind of like you know when the people say babies are expensive there's a huge range as to what that can mean because if you're pretty minimalistic having a baby doesn't have to be that expensive but yeah if you're going to build out a whole nursery and um buying formula and things like yeah of course it's going to be a more expensive thing to have a baby, but there's there's no one size fits all with any of this. And having seen my sister's births, I was already pretty aware of like, you really don't need a whole lot for a birth. Certainly you can have preferences and comfort items and things available, but more than anything, a home birth is about keeping you in your space where you feel safe and comfortable, a space where you can control your setting, where you're not going to have random people coming in and out. You're not going to have medical students looking up your hoo-ha just because they're learning. (laughs) Obviously, I know they need to learn that way, but I'm not going to be a guinea pig for that setting. So just the way it is. And while you're in the comfort of the space that you choose and that you feel safest in, then yeah, you can expand from there with whatever items you feel will support this space and feeling good to you. I think the biggest misconception around home births is that they're really messy and they really don't have to be that way. Like, yes, there's going to be amniotic fluid. There might be some blood. Yes, a placenta is going to come out, but it's not like a murder scene where there's gore and blood all over the walls. Um, Usually the supplies you need to keep the space clean and to birth safely and in a clean environment is pretty simple. So the specific items that we have on hand ready to go for the birth itself are as followed. Like I said, I'll make an Instagram post of this, but you could also write it down. Um, Towels, lots and lots of towels, not new towels, but these are going to be towels that you, you may wrap the baby in when it comes out. You could put the placenta on a towel. You may want the towel under you immediately after birth while you're still bleeding. You may even want towels on your bed or on the floor to protect your carpet or your rugs or whatever. Lots of chucks pads, which are those big blue like medical pads um, that just catch liquid. So they're really great for um, like quick things that you can put down on the floor on the bed. So for example, with the births that I witnessed, when a woman is in a safe environment, she's usually moving quite a bit. She's not laying down on her back usually, you know, she's going to be on her hands and knees and then she may want to like hold her partner's neck and get into kind of a low squat and then she may want to be in a birth tub and then she may want to crouch on the bed and so chucks pads are nice because you can quickly slide that under her to again protect whatever she may be on um, without needing to stress her out like oh my god you're going to ruin the bedding like just stick a chucks pad under her they're also really great after birth to 
have on your bed. Um, even if you're, you know, wearing a, a diaper or disposable underwear, it's just nice to have extra protection. A bowl, you could do a bowl or you could just do a chucks pad. Some people do like a basket, but this is primarily to put the placenta in once the placenta comes out. Uh, disposable underwear, AKA adult diapers. Super excited to rock some sexy diapers. <laughs> these um, obviously are really great. Some people skip these and go straight to pads, but from some of my friends that have recently given birth, they've been big proponents of the adult diapers are actually really, really nice uh, because they're not super tight on your vagina. And so depending on how traumatic the birth was on your vagina, you know, you're probably not gonna want like a tight pad squeezed up in there. Um, a peri bottle, which a peri bottle is what you use to squirt water up onto your vagina or your anus, um, especially after birth, so that you're not actually having to wipe after you go to the bathroom. It's really nice too if you just put a little bit of warm water in it and can just squirt yourself off down there. A birth tub, um, you can buy them on Amazon or if you're working with a midwife, they often have one um, or there's a lot of people that just have them, you can borrow them or rent them even. So I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to buy a $500 big birth tub, but we will definitely have one set up because I am a very watery person and little baby will be a Scorpio. So I just imagine that we're both kind of in the vibe of water. Um, so we'll have that set up with warm water in it. And if that's where the baby comes out, cool. And if not, oh, well. Um, next, soft lighting. So um, I'm planning probably on birthing mostly in our living room. And so we'll just have salt lamps on. So if it's the middle of the night, it'll probably be pretty dark in there, but I definitely don't want harsh lights at all. Um, soothing music. So I'll create a playlist at some point, or I may explore a little bit of hypnobirthing uh, audios, but it's just something calm that's playing in the background and not very distracting. Um, hydrating drinks. So Robert and my sister, uh, both know what kinds of drinks that I would like them to prepare and just offer me. So I think the ideal thing is when you have people attending your birth who know you and know how to read you to where you don't need to tell them what to do. And so like with my sister especially, but I'm sure Robert will be able to read me as well. She will just know when she looks at me when I need a drink or when I need to pause and have some food or when maybe to leave me alone, or maybe when I need some loving words or encouragement. And I'm really excited for that because I don't wanna be trying to birth plus like needing to be like, hey, I'm thirsty. Can like somebody go get me some water? I appreciate that I know they'll both really be on it reading what I need. So for hydrating drinks, we'll definitely have some adrenal cocktails on hand. Um, probably some like watermelon juice, maybe, um, probably some milk. I don't know. I'll kind of see what I'm craving the few days before and same with nourishing snacks. So, and if anyone's only ever had hospital birth, some of this might sound weird because you may be like, you're not supposed to eat while you're in labor. That's dangerous. And it's really not. So it is sad that hospitals take away that right from women, but it's actually really helpful for a lot of women to get some sustenance while they're in labor, especially if it's a prolonged labor. So for nourishing snacks, we'll probably have some broth and some soups, maybe some like sourdough toast with lots of butter, 
maybe some avocado. Again, we'll kind of see as I'm getting closer to labor, what kinds of foods are feeling really good, but I'll definitely want to be opting for soft foods as postpartum. That's what those first 30, 40 days will look like is a lot of soft, soft foods, especially in those days immediately postpartum soft foods are really recommended because again, I haven't had a baby yet, but I just keep hearing this, that your first bowel movement after baby is horrible. And so by eating really soft, liquidy foods, like broths and congee, rice, that will support, you know, less strain so that your poor little bum doesn't like feel like it's breaking in half. Ugh, things to look forward to. Um, <laughs> next we have blankets for baby. So maybe some swaddles or receiving blankets. I don't really know. We still need to get more blankets, but we'll have a bunch of blankets available to wrap baby up especially since it'll be starting to get kind of cool where we live when baby is actually probably going to show up. We'll want to have plenty of stuff to keep baby warm. Organic pads, because as I said, some people will just do their adult diapers for a couple days and then switch to underwear and pads. And I don't really know what my preference is going to be yet. I'm going to just have a pack of disposable underwear and a pack of organic pads. I also have all my period panties. You all know I love horology. <laughs> um, so I have those two, but who's to say that those will even fit me? I, I don't know. So <laughs> we're going to wait till uh, the time gets closer. Um, just a few more things. I'll have some after cramp. This is a tincture that has things like after, uh, I was going to say after cramp, uh, cramp bark in it. So they can be really nice for those post uh, birth contractions that can be really intense. For some people, the after cramps are worse than labor contractions. So I'm going to have that on hand. Some people swear by it. Some people will say they do nothing and they don't even touch the pain. Again, I don't know how my body will respond. So I have a couple bottles of after cramp. Um, a mattress cover and extra sheets, um, especially if I end up giving birth in bed, like on my hands and knees in the bed or something, those will be really helpful to have. Uh, lots of trash bags that way people can just be cleaning up as we go and just keeping the space clean lots of paper towels again for whatever may happen if i drip on the floor or whatever um, a camera to record it's definitely important to me to get this on camera just with an iphone or something nothing fancy uh, and then where, like I said, the room could be really dark if I go into labor at night with just some salt lamps on or something. I don't even know how like good it'll work, but more than anything, I just want to have something I can reflect back on. And even if I can only hear my birthing noises, I think that'll be really cool. And I will definitely cherish that forever. Um, and then lastly, just my support system. And that's going to look different for everybody. I've already mentioned the two primary people that will be supporting me, but that could be a much larger list or much smaller. Some people really just want their partner present. Some people are really comfortable with their midwife bringing a ton of like birth attendants. Some people want to have a doula. Some people want their mother or their grandmother present. Um, there's really no right or wrong way with how you want to go about it. But I think it's just important to remember who you'll be comfortable around, especially in a very vulnerable state. And so for example, when I witnessed my sister giving birth, she was just 
perfectly raw. She was totally naked. And I have a feeling that I'll want to be the same way. I don't think I'm going to want to worry about wearing a dress so that I don't offend somebody. And so obviously when I know that I may or may not even be wearing clothes, I don't know, that's going to limit, you know, maybe some types of people that would be there um, because either I may feel uncomfortable or they could feel uncomfortable. But also remember, you're going to be in a vulnerable state where you may in the birth tub, poop a little. You may make noises you didn't know you could make. You may have an emotional breakdown. So again, you just have to consider in your raw state, who do you feel comfortable being around? Who are you comfortable um, allowing to witness you? And then the other big thing I think is also remembering to think about people that really support you. And so this is where you may have really well-meaning people in your life that you love so much But if you know they're going to be pacing around the house the whole time because they're nervous or if they're going to be cracking jokes, like, should we just call an ambulance, you know, just to like have them wait in the driveway? Ha ha. Stuff like that is like 0% cool. (laughs) Like, no, no, no. So even if you have someone you really love, beloved friend or family member, but you know that they're going to be anxious and nervous the entire time or imprinting their experiences onto you or getting you afraid it's really probably better for you to just let them come see you after the baby arrives. So there's a number of people in my life that in a perfect world, I'd love to have them at my birth. Um, And I love them so much and I don't have any ill feelings towards them, but I don't think that they will be able to overcome their own fears and past experiences to really be able to be present with me and give me the help and support that I need. And when you're the person having the baby, you get to be the one that that chooses what's right and what's not. So that's part of why we picked a home birth, the birth supplies we have, and then I added in, you know, who should you invite to your home birth? I didn't even have that on my notes, but that just came up because I think that's really important. And a lot of people feel very obligated, like you have to have your grandma come, even though your grandma the whole time has been saying that you're gonna die if you don't go to the hospital. Like, nah. Tell grandma you love her and that she can come by in a week with a meal to visit you and baby. (laughs) Set some boundaries. Um, With my partner, Robert, he's definitely been so awesome through this journey in that he has not attempted to control anything that's going on. He's asked really good questions. He checks in with me to understand my certain thoughts on certain things or certain interventions that I'm not comfortable with. And he's just been lovely and so... Um, open to learning and really self-aware to see, you know, what decisions simply really need to be more mine to make. Um, I think that is probably the best way to describe it. He sees that this is a very personal process really for the mom. I know the dads are very involved too, but when you were the one birthing it, it's, it's another level. And he really knows when to ask questions and also when to be like, that's amazing, babe. I totally support you. And I'm really glad that that's what you want. So I've been so grateful for that. I know that not all partners um, are as open to home birth or, or physiological birth. So I have a ton of empathy for that. But on that note, I was actually going to say a couple of my followers have been sending their partners the episodes here in the cyclical birth series, begging them to listen to them to, again, just give them that information. Most guys don't learn a lot of this. And so if all they've ever seen is like trauma or their mom was like, oh my gosh, you almost died. You got stuck in my birth, you know, in the birth canal. And 
we had to do an emergency thing. How are they going to feel very comfortable or confident about birth if they've only ever heard of the bad side of it? So I'm just really like honored (laughs) that some uh, husbands could be listening to this today. And if so, welcome. Um, So happy you're here. In terms of getting ready for baby, um, another interesting concept that I think only becomes real once you hit the third trimester is like, oh, the baby really can come like any time within like a four to six week span. So meaning your baby could come, you know, around 36, 37 weeks. And it's not unusual for your baby also to come more closely to 42 weeks. So there's a huge range of kind of this like, your baby could literally come anytime. (laughs) And while I'm not in that window quite yet, I'm just starting to realize the like, the depth of that, of like, whoa, how will that feel to be just aware of at any moment, a baby could just like decide its timer's done and it's decided it's ready to come earthside. So. That'll be a really interesting thing, I'm sure, when I'm actually in it. I also was curious, so um, I looked up, you know, when I first got pregnant, the predicted due date, which due dates are a whole other thing I'll talk about in a second. Um, And my predicted due date at the time was October 31st, so Halloween, which I was super excited about because in my mind, that just seems like that would be the best birthday ever. You'd always get to have a big Halloween party for your birthday. Like, I don't know, it just sounds fun. <laughs> and later, when I was learning more that, you know, due dates often aren't correct, because even though they're based off of your last menstrual cycle, the algorithm is using like a, a metric that all women have 28 day cycles. And so that's why due dates can be really off, especially if you historically had really long cycles or really irregular cycles. <sighs> There's so much to this, but this is why you may quote be 42 weeks, but you're really only like 40 weeks and three days gestation. And yet your doctor or midwife may remove care because, oh my God, you're over 42 weeks. You have so much risk. And if you think that's true, go listen to that episode a few weeks ago with Dr. Uh, Nathan Riley, MD, who talked about the real risk uh, of going beyond 42 weeks because it'll make you laugh. It's so ridiculous. So anyway, I just was like, huh, I wonder if my quote due date is actually accurate because I knew the exact day of conception. And so when I put in my date of conception instead of the date of my last period, it then gave me October 27th, which I thought was interesting. Now, obviously that's not that different, but my cycles historically have been pretty close to 28 days. But just a reminder that um, due dates are meaningless (laughs) and a baby's gonna come when it wants to come. And so if our baby comes on October 20th, that's great. And if our baby comes on November 10th, that's also great. So I'm really not too concerned about the timing of any of that, but I think our modern world gets really, really hung up on due dates and that's when the baby's supposed to come. And if it's not, then you need to probably induce. And I think we just don't allow birth to take its time and happen as it's meant to. Since there can be such a huge range as to when a baby comes, I'm guessing that probably mid-October is when we will blow up the birth tub and just have that sitting in the living room so that if and when labor starts, someone's just gonna, that's their job is to fill the birth tub. And 
yeah, I guess we'll just kind of have the space ready so that whenever baby decides to show up, everything is ready for it. Another question a lot of people asked is what kinds of things are you buying to help prepare you for baby? And again, I think I'll do another Instagram post on this. So please tell me if you're interested in the Instagram post about my birthing supplies, but also if you're interested to hear what things we're choosing to buy baby as really minimalistic people. We really like not having a ton of stuff. I get overwhelmed when there's like 10 bajillion toys everywhere. And maybe that's just my fate in five years. I hope not. <laughs> but especially when they're babies, I don't really think they need a ton of stuff. And so I think it's kind of overwhelming how much just consumerism is interwoven into birth and pregnancy. And so we really are not doing a lot of the like mainstream stuff. Like, for example, as taboo as this may be, we are not doing a full nursery for the baby. Like to us, putting an entire room dedicated to just a bunch of stuff doesn't really make a lot of sense. We don't need to paint the walls a certain color. We don't need to buy, you know, a diaper genie and we don't need a changing table and we don't need, I don't know, a million different types of bassinets and bouncers and swings. It doesn't really make sense to us right now to do this whole nursery thing, which I understand is how some women nest, but I'm nesting differently apparently because I'm definitely not inclined at all to have a nursery. I also want the baby to sleep in our bedroom with us, so it's kind of pointless to think about making a nursery. But the benefit for us, especially not doing a nursery, is it saves us a ton of money that we can allocate to things that I think are going to be a lot more important. So in a second, I'll share with you what items we have bought for baby, if you're curious, the simple, simple things. But um, by saving all this money by not doing a nursery, not buying all the bouncers, not buying all the bassinets, not, I don't know, just go to like buybybaby.com and you'll quickly be overwhelmed by how many things they tell you you need to have for your baby that are, you know, seven, eight hundred dollars each. This is crazy. Instead of paying for all that stuff, though, we are going to use that money towards food. We're going to use that money towards hopefully a lactation counselor, and then a lot of postpartum support. This also, if we have more left, could be something ultimately we use for nanny care occasionally or, you know, who knows, but it's just a lot of money that could be used in so many different ways and are so much more valuable to me. So we'll be able to pay somebody to come support me postpartum, help with meals. We could hire a housekeeper like I said, a lactation counselor to help ensure baby's latching fine and our breastfeeding relationships off to a good start. Like there's a million different ways we could spend that money that, you know, we could have spent on just this overpriced, bougie changing table or something like that. In terms of the items that we are choosing to invest in, so we're certainly buying lots of baby clothes, which are so fun to buy and they're so cute. We're buying lots of baby clothes. Um, we did find a couple really awesome rubber teething toys. So we didn't really want plastic and we didn't really want silicone. We wanted real rubber and we found a couple really cute ones. My favorite of which is a little polar bear. So that'll be baby's first little toy is a little polar bear. <laughs> so cute. Lotox diapers. So far we are using diaper, which is D-Y-P-E-R. We may try honest as well. I was kind of wanting to do uh, cloth diapers, but 
I think I'm realizing that we can add that later, but right now that feels a little overwhelming to start with immediately, just to me. Uh, we bought a bunch of water-based wipes, so wipes that don't have any other uh, chemicals or things in them. They're literally wet wipes that are just made of water. Glass bottles um, and a pump. So I'm planning on probably three or four months postpartum pumping fairly regularly. I don't know a lot about pumping or any of that yet, so that's why maybe three or four months is like not the time to start pumping. I don't know. This is why I need a lactation counselor. Uh, but I would like to have some milk stored in the freezer and it would also be helpful then to be able to sometimes do glass bottles instead of breastfeed and just have a little more options for, you know, like night support where Robert could then help feed the baby or something like that. Tons of swaddle blankets. That's like the funniest thing is Robert was like more than anything after his first child. He was like, what you need are blankets, like so many of them, because they're perfect for barf. They're perfect if you don't want to put a diaper on the baby and you want to let them sit on, let them sit on the floor, just stick them on one of the blankets. Like, I guess they're the catch-all for literally everything. <laughs> so he's been like a huge proponent of an obscene amount of swaddle blankets. Uh, we bought a ton of books for the baby, but we're both just really avid readers and we're excited to be able to read baby the books that we loved. Um, and a baby wrap. So we were gifted a beautiful cloth wrap that you actually have to like wrap and tie a certain way. And then we also have got one, I think it's called Moda. It's the kind with clips so that him and I can both just clip the baby on our chest whenever we need. But those are the main things that we've personally bought. We were super lucky that we were gifted a couple things. I've been given so many maternity clothes from so many people and I'm so, so grateful. Um, my mom bought us a Numa car seat, which was the best grandma gift ever. Numa is one of the only car seats you can find that isn't sprayed with flame retardants. It's, I think, made in Germany. So it's a little spendy, it's like 400 bucks maybe, which is why it was like such a thoughtful gift. Um, but yeah, we wanted to find a car seat that didn't have flame retardants if possible. And then I've also been given so many books, all the Ina books, um, books about the placenta, books about, you know, spiritual midwifery, um, the pregnancy book by Dr. Aviva Ram. So just lots of great holistic books. Um, definitely my favorites have been Birth Matters by Ina May and Pushed. I think her, the author is Jennifer Block. Those are two books that I would recommend to any woman that's pregnant who is just curious to learn more about home birth, the real quote risks, and just how to be an advocate for yourself. So those were amazing. But yeah, mainly the items that we have not bought or we're not going to buy are most nursery items. We're not doing a changing table. We're not buying the fancy diaper trash cans. We're not doing a snoo. We're not doing a baby pen, wipe warmers, a baby monitor, just, Again, things that I understand feel very essential to some people, but as of right now, we're not going, we don't need those things. So like I said, that could all change. I'm not saying that what we're doing is the perfect way, but if you're interested in being more minimalistic like us, I think that shows like you really don't need a whole lot. You need a way to feed the baby, something to keep the baby warm, and uh, 
the end of the day, like those are kind of the core things. And I guess diapers, <laughs> something for them to poop in. Other than that, you know, everything else is really as, as much as you want to do or as minimalistic as you want to do. And uh, I don't really think there's necessarily a wrong way. We just know minimalism is better for us. Ooh, I think the last really good question I got was um, how to manage the uncertainty if something goes wrong, which is a really good question. I definitely have full confidence everything is going to go well, but I'm also not wanting to be ignorant. I understand that all birth, no matter who you are, has some risk, like everything does. Every time you get in the car, there's risk. Every time you eat food, there's risk. Like there's risk inevitable in everything every human does every day. But certainly birth can have elevated risk for some women. So I think the main thing for me that's really been helpful for me is just informing myself as much as possible about what things can go wrong in a physiological birth. Now I say that because a lot of things that quote go wrong are the direct result of other meddlings with birth. So for example, um, a woman that I know recently had a very, very traumatic induction at the hospital and had severe hemorrhaging issues post immediately after birth. And, you know, I don't know the full details, but she explained it like almost dying. Like it was very, very serious, which is heartbreaking. And I, I wish she had didn't have to experience that. But it's important to remember that was that hemorrhage just out of nowhere, just because, or was that directly correlated to the Pitocin that was used to induce her? And that's one of the primary risks of Pitocin is hemorrhage. And so that's where it gets a little complicated. A lot of people jump to like worst case scenarios with birth, but there are less worst case scenarios usually when there's less meddling. I say usually, obviously there's a lot of nuance in all of this, but especially if you're choosing to do as few interventions as possible, I think the risk is actually lower because we're not meddling with physiology. So there are, you know, small examples of things that would be time as a woman doing a home birth to transport to the hospital, certainly. And again, I'm not an expert in this, so this would be really good questions for a midwife, especially. But let's say if my water broke and I was four or five days later and my my labor still had not started, that would start to make me a little concerned for sure and would probably be a time to chat with a midwife or OB, definitely. If my labor was going on for days and days and days or I wasn't feeling fetal movements anymore, definitely that would be a time that it would probably be good to go to the hospital. Even immediately after birth too, it's important to also know A, the things that are normal, and also B, to know the things that are not. So for example, um, there's kind of a misconception that the placenta should come out immediately after the baby. So if the placenta is not out within like 10 minutes, some people get really worried. Whereas, uh, at least from the midwives that I've spoken to, there are some women in rare instances that take about 24 hours for their placenta to come out. Is that normal or standard? No. But was that wrong? Not necessarily. So if it takes a few hours for a placenta to come out, I wouldn't be that worried personally. But if you had an expectation that the placenta needs to be out within 10 minutes, otherwise something bad's happening, that probably would make you transport to the hospital, maybe unnecessarily. 
Um, taking an infant CPR class was another really important thing to me. So at this point, I feel really informed that if for some reason baby came out and wasn't breathing, I feel like I have a really good toolkit to resuscitate. God forbid that happens. But um, like to me, just having the awareness and the tools takes away a lot of the fear for me. So I think the worst case scenario would be to do a home birth and to think that your midwife is like your savior and is going to swoop in and can fix anything for you because there is a lot of personal responsibility with birth. And so you have to just determine what you're comfortable with. If you don't want to have any choice in birth and you'd really rather other people make decisions for you, a hospital birth honestly could feel better. But if you want to feel really informed and uh, I guess just feel like you have some power in your birth, then it's a really, really epic invitation to do this with a home birth. Um, Same with I was talking to another midwife who was explaining what it looks like for a baby to be born with pneumonia. And I'd never heard of that or thought about it. And she described what that would look like and, you know, the noises they'd make or not be making. And they're probably not very interested in eating. And she was just kind of presenting a scenario where if these boxes were being checked, you would need to take that baby to the hospital immediately. And again, that's really awesome to me because I want to know that. I don't want to miss something important like that. So it's kind of hard to answer the question of like, yeah, what do you do in a worst case scenario? Because it kind of depends what the worst case scenario is. And is it truly a worst case scenario or was it caused by something else that was done to you? Or do we think it's a worst case scenario only because we don't necessarily feel like we know what is normal or what is within the range of normal? So I know that's like a really complicated answer to this question. Um, But yeah, I feel really strongly about that. There's nuance and yeah, nobody can really say what the right thing to do is in certain scenarios until you're in it and you have the people that you know and trust around you and your own mama instincts to know this is okay and safe or this is truly wrong. And we're so lucky to have access to Western medicine and hospitals and we have that option to seek care in the true instance of an emergency. But birth itself is not an emergency. Whew. I think that was like the longest solo podcast I've done in a long time. (laughs) So if you're still here, congratulations, you're devoted. I hope that was really helpful. Like I said, nothing I said here is gospel. Nothing I said here is me trying to pretend to be an expert in birth. I'm not a midwife, Um, definitely not an OBGYN, but I do feel like a very informed mama bear and I am super excited to at some point in a couple months get to do an episode where I get to tell you about my birth story and have a cute little squishy next to me (laughs) and find out if it's a boy or girl, because I still don't know and I'm so excited and just get to enter this new stage of the feminine to go from maiden to mother in completion. But thank you again to all of you that have been here, all of you that find all this interesting for all your love and support means so much to me. And I genuinely hope that I get to be of support to you when you are a mama bear or when you have your next babies because that's what this is all about is being this web of women that loves and cherishes each other through each transition of the feminine so thank you for seeing me and i'm so grateful to see you and be 
someone that you trust and look up to as well. So, all right. Well, I'll see you here next week, my friends. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for tuning into the Cyclical Podcast today. The best way you can support the show is by rating and reviewing the Cyclical Podcast on iTunes. It also means so much when you share this on Instagram and tag me. It helps me see what episodes really, really resonated and just keep the goodness coming. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you here next week.